0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future.
1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK analyst David Leach. David, I trust you are well. I am well, thanks Giles. I trust uh, you're recovering
2: from your illness. We seem to spend a lot of time talking about health but I guess uh, since the average nation in the world spends about 9% of its GDP and probably about 10% of its conversation speaking about health that's not so unusual and I'd like to uh, Hope all our listeners are are well and I'd like to have a special welcome to our very special guest uh, for this episode.
1: Yes, look, um, we've been talking a lot about the national electricity market in the last few weeks and um, some interesting developments there, particularly this week with some new data released by the Clean Energy Council talking about a big drop in investment and I guess we've... um, um, you know, talked and written a lot about the various issues around the grid, and interesting also to know, notice this week that New South Wales have announced um, some forward movements on battery storage, but we're going the, uh, we're going back to the other side of the Nullarbor. We've had the Energy Minister, State Energy Minister Bill Johnson join us um, in recent months, and today I'd like to welcome Dean Sharafi, who's the General Manager of System Development or Systems Management at AEMO in Western Australia. Dean, thanks for joining the podcast.
3: Hi, Charles. Glad to be here.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. And look, um, we're probably going to get a bit technical sometime pretty soon because WA is a really interesting grid. It seems it faces the same sort of transformation issues as the rest of Australia, but it is a grid that's isolated by itself, probably roughly the same size as Ireland, but no option to connect. Now, you are going through a I'd just like to lay the, a, an overall groundwork before we get a bit technical. And one is that WA is going through the same process roughly as the national electricity market. You have recently released a, distributed, a paper on distributed energy, which we've discussed. You are now developing a whole-of-system plan, which is basically um, a little bit like the integrated system plan, but specifically for WA – and um, I was kind of fascinated looking at the scenarios which have been discussed recently: um, Castaway, Groundhog Day, Techtopia, and Double Bubble. <laughs> um, fascinating sort of things. I mean, sort of, just give us very briefly before we get start, starting getting technical. Sort of, what, you know, how are you seeing the different scenarios emerging? I'm not too sure whether you've actually settled on how it all actually um, evolves. But what are the sort of things that you are thinking about?
3: So a uh, whole of system plan looks at these four scenarios and projects into a future for 20 years and all of these scenarios uh, have their own assumptions with their inputs so um the, invest, the most um, efficient investment in two, 20 years time uh, looking at each scenario will take us to um, the, the, where the model is, is taking us and and this is the first one that we are doing in WA and there will be opportunity for uh, Future um, Development of this something that is going to look like in integrated system plan uh, that we have in the name uh, but uh, yes, these four scenarios um, really look at different assumptions and based on those assumptions uh, highlight the need for different sort of investments. So, um, (coughs)
1: Yeah and I'm just wondering what you can sort of tell us about the sort of the pace of change I mean in the um, in the um, AEMO's integrated system plan basically four out of the five scenarios point to a rapid exit of coal over the next 20 years and a replacement by renewables and it could be anything to to a level of 70% renewables to just over 90% renewables by 2040 which is an extraordinary transformation so much so that I think the um, AEMO's described it as the quickest in the western world or the quickest in the world in WA, what sort of numbers are we talking about? I mean, you are an isolated grid, so it is a different scenario. But roughly, what sort of numbers are we talking about? Say, twenty years hence, are we talking about going from ten or fifteen percent renewables to a level of fifty or sixty or seventy or above? Um, is is there any sort of any numbers that you can share on that?
3: In in terms of penetration of renewables in WA, we are no having. Um, sometimes more than 50% instantaneous penetration of renewables. But um, I I think this is very relevant to the topic of discussion that we have now. What can be managed going forward? So projections are projections. So you can have different assumptions and then um, the the model shows you what that will look like and, and what's the most efficient of generation mix that you will have in 20 years, but what we we see we we see a an, um constant increase in penetration of renewables. What we have in WA in in the Swiss or in the WEM um, in, in terms of addition of new generations are old renewables. So you can um, say that th- this progression towards very high renewable situation is going to be real. And I'm not talking only about the whole of system plan. I'm, I'm talking about what we see. Um, this projection has started, um, let's say, from 15 years ago up to now. And, and we can see that in, in the in future, there will be more share of renewables in the energy mix going forward. So, so I'm, Dean, I'm trying think... not to... Oh, sorry. Yes. No, I'm trying Go not on. to really focus on whole of system plan only, but what we, we have seen so far and, and what we expect to see going forward.
2: And, and so, Dean, uh, I think we see these sort of trends, uh, as Giles mentioned, in, in, in the NEM and in the Swiss air, and indeed all over the world. I mean, it's no big secret that there's a lot of renewable investment but I think um, uh, for some uh, grids, it's more of an issue than for other grids because uh, we're constantly hearing about system strength and inertia. And I was hoping um, uh, with your background, you might be able to explain to our listeners uh, a little bit about inertia, just the, the, just the topic in general and uh, uh, what its role in, in, a, in, a, in a grid is.
3: Okay, if if I want to uh, talk about inertia from physics perspective or something that um, everybody can relate to inertia is resistance to change effectively and I say this because for us power system operator uh, resistance to change, especially sudden changes is very important because we want the power system to be stable. So, um, Newton's first law of motion says, in, in very simple uh, term, things tend to do what they are already doing. So if they are stationary, they like to be remain stationary, or if they are moving, they like to keep moving. Of course, in real life, we see uh, moving things eventually stop, but um, because they stop, because other forces act on them. If there are no forces, they keep. Uh, moving and in in electrical terms, uh, we are more concerned about rotational movement, which effectively generators have. So generators have a big mass um, that is rotating, and this rotational mass provides the stability that we like to see in the system. Now, with renewables, um, the, because they are inverter connected to the system, there is no lock mechanism to uh, the, the system and they don't rotate with system frequency. The more of them, it means that we lose the mass, the inertia that we need for the stability of systems. That's why it is important for a power system to have enough inertia to operate a sta- in a very stable mode.
2: And and I think, and I want to come back to, to, to that in just a second, but I just want to look at the other end of the line for one second because we, we never talk about it. But I understand that the loads uh, of people using electricity uh, also, also are important to inertia. And it's the match between... What's been generated and what's been demanded of the power system? That inertia uh, kind of manages on the on the sub one second level. Uh,
3: yes. So um, w- when I said uh, generating mass, um, because these uh, the mass of the generated and rotor is turning, but anything that also turns provides inertia. So load also provides. Inertia, we call it load inertia, uh, and um, you, you could imagine something between ten and twenty percent of the inertia is provided by the load. Actually, the mean, the average value of inertia that we have in Western Australian system is seventeen percent of inertia. But you you need to also uh, consider that um, most of the load is becoming. Um, inverter based as well so uh, in 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 the past we had a lot of induction motors but these uh, no become inverter based and um, when they are inverter based they don't provide inertia so the inertia in the load is also decreasing at the same time
2: and before we get on to what's actually happening to inertia and and what we're going to do about it can you explain to me uh, what happens if we don't have inertia in the system?
3: If we don't have inertia in the system, um, we get um, the system to a point that would become unstable. So um, more inertia means the system frequency is um, stable, but as we, we go towards more inverter-based power resources, this stability is affected. So if you look at a curve of frequency after a contingency happens in the system, there are three parts that are really important in that curve. And I focus on two parts. Firstly, the first part is how quickly uh, the frequency changes. Uh, This is called the rate of change of frequency or rock-off. I think most of your listeners have heard this. So if it uh, falls too quickly, that's not good. So um, uh, something something will happen, which I, I will explain. The second thing that is important is how deep uh, this frequency uh, declines. So the, the, the last point of uh, frequency decline, when it comes back, it's also important. Because at that point, if we have protections in the system that uh, gets rid of some load, uh, some um, designed load that uh, they disconnect and our objective is to keep serving the load. That That is not good. If, if the rate of change of frequency is uh, too high, then some of the generators themselves can't cope with that and they disconnect. And we get into cascading events that may lead into blackout. That's why... We want the change to be slow. So um, any high rate of change creates an unstable situation, which during that very short period of time, other things may happen, such as disconnection of other generators or distributed energy resources. So the, the inverters have also settings that if frequency changes too quickly or changes uh, too deep, they will disconnect as well. So you can imagine during that short period of time, we, we have maybe a large number of other generators that disconnect from the system and, and put the system at risk. So we, we call it cascading events. That's why stability... So
2: Yes, it makes me laugh inertia, resistance to change, because I've always uh, regarded myself as uh, being in favour of change. Although, as I get older, and as my grandfather said, you know, the uh, enthusiasm for change tends to decline as you get older. But um, uh, that, that was clear enough. Now, uh, the problem is, I think, that all over the world, these rotating machines uh, are leaving the grid. And so I guess inertia is falling all around the world. Uh, and what is the way forward?
3: <laughs> so um, when we, we have means of managing this, um, this I, I, I should say, um, we, we are also for change, but uh, a managed change. So uh, a power system doesn't like a sudden change, but we are experiencing a a, um, constant change towards a better system. But the objective is to manage this transition so that we get in a better place without uh, putting the system at risk. So when um, we are facing with the issue of uh, decreasing inertia, we effectively put some measures in place operationally to manage the power system. We can uh, reduce the size of the biggest contingency. So that's one way of managing sudden changes. Uh, let Let's say if your size of the biggest contingency is very big, and uh, that contingency happens, then sorry, just to interrupt, deficit.
2: just to interrupt, uh, just to interrupt for one second. A contingency would be something like a generator tripping out or or, or a load uh, tripping out.
3: Yes, that's correct. So, if, um, let's say, a big generator trips off, then you have a huge energy deficit because you remember that uh, we need to keep the load and generation at, at unity all the time such that we keep the frequency in shape. So, the frequency will be constant, but if you have a large contingency, then your you will face an energy deficit, which you need to, uh, in a very uh, short period of time, recover from. Uh, When I say short period of time, the first two, three seconds. So if we can somehow provide this energy to the system very quickly, then uh, the, the system will stay stable. So we reduce the size of contingency and with very uh, sudden um, energy that we can put in the system through a storage maybe and through, or through fast acting generators, we can keep the system stable. So going forward, storage is one of uh, the, the most effective solutions and, and we can talk about uh, what uh, sort of inertia storage can provide if, if you like.
2: Yeah. Yes, I I, I, I Yes, I'd like to do that. I I recently uh, 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 listened to a webinar that talked about some of the off-grid things, like at Mount Newman uh, in West Australia, where where we have so-called grid-forming inverters, which, as I understand it, are are, um, are inverters. That is, they convert one form of current to another, DC to AC and they take uh, battery energy uh, to provide uh, instantaneous frequency control, but actually electrical inertia to the system. I probably haven't explained it or talked about it very well, but is that the sort of thing that you're talking about?
3: Yes, so um, there there are other ways of uh, provision of inertia other than rotating masses. You know that, uh, for example, some wind farms can provide emulated inertia or synthetic inertia because they they have rotating blades that have energy and this energy can be given to the system when the system needs it. So that is a a sort of inertia that can be provided to the system. Or storage can provide inertia. So we call this uh, digital inertia. And because this energy can be given to the system in a very short period of time, like 50 milliseconds after a contingency happens. This is actually much more effective than rotational inertia. So uh, in in Ireland, uh, they uh, did an experiment on uh, inertia that batteries can provide, and they found that uh, this inertia, which they call digital inertia, can be more than eight times more effective than uh, inertia that can be provided by synchronous machines. So that is another sort of uh, inertia. And um, you you mentioned grid forming inverters. I should probably explain a bit uh, what's the difference between grid forming inverters and grid following inverters. What you see um, most of the time or up to now have been grid following inverters. So these inverters can take a reference from the stable grid. So this reference from voltage. And then uh, the inverter actually um, uses this reference from voltage and frequency of the grid to push power into the grid acting like a, a current source. So they, they called grid following because they follow the grid so they need a very stable voltage to do that. But as the share of inverter-based resources increase in the grid, the voltage on the grid becomes less rigid. So um, it, it's the, the stability on the grid voltage becomes less and less. Therefore um, it's 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 a controlled theory. So if your if you have a fast moving reference, you only need to trace it or can trace it with even faster controller. So you need something when the share of renewables, um, I shouldn't say renewables, I should say inverter based generation um, gets very high on the grid because the stability is affected. You need something different because um the, the, there is no um stable there's nothing to follow the there's grid. no there's no there's yes, no, no voltage
2: exactly. source anymore so 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 there's nothing to follow so ev- everyone just starts doing their own thing and that doesn't work anymore
3: that's right that's right so grid forming inverters can act independently and and you you know with um power electronics you can do almost anything you you want so long as you you know what needs to be done, you, you don't need a reference from the grid, but you can um, inject um, you, you can apply voltage, you apply your power inject your power into grid with, with a voltage that doesn't need a reference. so th- these are grid forming inverters, and they can provide uh, some level of inertia they can they can mimic. Um, synchronous generation in, in, in most of the functions that synchronous generation can do. Is,
2: is there anything that they... Act, I understand that mathematically, when I say I understand, I have read that the actual... they can provide effectively mathematically equivalent inertia, but in, in your opinion, is there anything that a, that a grid forming inverter, and we don't have very many of them uh, on the grid... Uh, here in the NEM, but uh, or I don't think anywhere in the world. But is there anything they can't do?
3: It it really depends on the capability of the electronics uh, in in these inverters. So they they can provide um, as as you you, you mentioned, they, they can start if they have um, uh, storage. They, they can even start the system. So um, they they can. Um, work independently, and they can connect with other grid-forming inverters in a sort of microgrid arrangement. But the, there are still some uh, functionality from synchronous generation that can't be provided by just inverters. For example, uh, we we need um, short circuit ratio that it's 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 it's, it's an inherent. Um, Capability of a synchronous machine—that uh, this is electromagnetic theory—that can inject up to six times uh, rated current into, um, let's say, lines when there is a short circuit. So th- there is a s- still uh, capability of um, s- these inverters to provide to that level of short circuit, but you can you can question would that level required in the future? Probably not. So I, I, the um, capabilities that I have seen, they can inject up to two times of rated current into uh, during uh, short-circuit situations, but not to the level that a synchronous machine can do.
2: Yes, I, I saw that in, in the webinar, and I was interested to understand... Uh, the significance of, uh, of, of, of that. So, so there are some limitations, and I'm going to hand back to Giles because uh, I'm enjoying this a lot, but I'm not sure that all of our listeners necessarily completely wanted to sign up for, for a course in, in how to run the grid, although I've got to say, I find it it's a fantastic explanation. You know, I'm enjoying it out of sight myself. Um, um, but I, 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 the sort of question that comes to my mind is: if we had a lot of these grid-forming inverters, and um, you might need some pretty sophisticated software uh, uh, to make sure that everything was still working and to keep the system uh, in control. I mean, would you be happy, for instance, in 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 West Australia, in the Swiss, to see? Uh, I don't know, households starting to put their own grid-forming inverters and batteries uh, on in, instead of grid-following ones. Would would that raise any issues?
3: I don't see any issues with um, grid-forming inverters. I think uh, grid-forming inverters are part of the solutions that we need to enable more renewables to connect to the system. As you know, this is a spectrum. So up to let's say 30% renewables, you even may not sense uh, a- any issues. Between 30% to 65%, you um, have issues with, as as we are discussing, with inertia and spinning reserve. But to go further beyond 65%, maybe to 100%, we know that grid-following inverters are not going to do it. So we need. Definitely grid forming inverters, but this is uh, very early, and th- there is a lot of research that is happening uh, on how we can mimic the behavior of a synchronous generator through grid forming inverters.
2: And would you say, so I mean, if, you, if we. Oh, go on, sorry.
3: Sorry. So, de- definitely uh, software is a part of it, but. The capability of the power electronics in an inverter to do certain things is also maybe another limitation.
2: are we are we up, for instance, anywhere in the world to a specification stage for these sorts of things yet, or are we still at the stage where engineers are actually uh, still building more than prototypes but but working out you know what's actually is going to be need to be specified?
3: There there are some grid forming inverters in the system, but the um, research is ongoing and um, more and more we see uh, companies uh, developing new solutions. Uh, very recently, um, I, I had um, a discussion with uh, some of developers in um, Israel and in, in England about um, how they, they're going to Use software and power electronics to mimic the behavior of a spinning uh, synchronous generators. And this, this research still needs to be done because the share of these uh, even grid forming inverters and how they operate is, is, is very new uh, in, in the systems. Especially, you know, the effect of these um, will be felt in a smaller system, let's say in a microgrid setting. But in a big system like the Swiss that we are operating, um this is very very early now.
2: Charles, I'm gonna hand back to you. Thank uh Dean. That's uh, uh a fantastic interesting uh sort of conversation to have, at least to me. <laughs>
1: No, look, it's it's been fascinating. Um, look, it's a dry topic, but it's an incredibly important topic because he was actually sort of talking about the ability to sort of have this transition that everyone's talking about is going to happen um, in place. So so how are you thinking about this then? Sort of grid-forming inverters seem to be able to do most, if not all, of the what you've got in the synchronous generation in the national electricity market, we've seen the rate of development of renewables step ahead of the grid planning, if you like, and um, and, and people have been asked to put in STATCOMs and synchronous condensers and, and things like that. How are you treating or seeing this in, in WA? Do you have more control over the pace and deployment of wind and solar? Are you requiring, are you even thinking about synchronous condensers or are you just making that next leap to thinking, okay, we're going to have this, this and this join the grid. We are going to need to see how the grid forming inverters work because eventually we're not going to be able to have those synchronous machines. They will have to leave the grid at some point in the future. Yeah, how how are you thinking about this?
3: You you know, in in most of um, the... Existing jurisdiction, even around the world, that there is no planning at a system level. So, uh, no, no one is looking at the whole system and saying, asking the questions that you are asking. I, I know in Australia we we have done it with uh, integrated system plan in the NEM. So, it, it this is a remarkable um, initiative to come and say system is changing. We are adding new type of generation to the system. What does it mean for the system? If we didn't do it, probably we wouldn't be uh, discussing. We would have a lot um, of blackouts already. So the fact that um, in Australia, AIMO is doing the integrated system plan and now in we do a whole of system plan is so important for keeping the system uh, power system secure. Um, here in Western Australia, we didn't have um, an issue with uh, system strength, so we did a study, and uh, two years ago, and we didn't find any system strength issues as we have in, in the name, in some parts of the NEM. But as, as you mentioned, we are adding new generation, um, and, and these generation are inverter based, and the system is quickly changing. So I anticipate that in near future we will have requirement um, for uh, probably synchronous condensers. So these are devices that can provide uh, system stability, voltage stability, and if designed well they can provide inertia to the power system uh, as a result of addition of new inverter-based generation in po- some parts of the Southwest Interconnected System. So definitely, um, uh, there will be a need going forward. Um, And um, AEMO will definitely look at the power system stability and do whatever is required, come up with recommendation on where uh, synchronous condenser is required or where storage is required. So all of these are part of the solution uh, in order to... Manage this transition effectively to a more um, mm-hmm. renewable-based uh, generation in, in the mix of generation that we have here.
1: Is is it fair to say that um, we currently have a grid which is based around synchronous generation, so we understand and appreciate how that works? We can imagine how a grid, a an inverter-based grid, might work in the future, and we've probably seen it at very small levels with off-grid installations and and, and things like that, and even some larger grids. So we can imagine, and we we can see the theory of it, and we can understand um, how that might work. Is the biggest challenge though actually if managing that transition? You're going from one complete system from, to to another one, and because it's an essential service, you can't really have it. You can't afford to have it not working at any particular stage, because people get really grumpy because they've got no power. Um, so is that where the difficulty lies? Not so much in having a new system, but in actually making that transition from the old to the new.
3: Absolutely. So the um, challenge is how to get there um, safely without. Uh, Putting the system at risk. So we know, um, we we know even hundred percent renewables is achievable. Uh, we we have seen it in in some parts of the world, but they're they're interconnected. So let's say uh, one province in China ran on renewables for a whole week. Or we have seen um, in in South Australia, no, the share of renewables sometimes is really large, but they are interconnected with other parts of the grid. So, we, we know it can work, but how to make that happen, and at the same time, provide a stability to the grid and run the grid securely. So, so so this is challenge that EIMO um, is um, always looking at how we can make that transition safely to that point. And, and inertia is, is not the, the only issue. so as as we mentioned, the system strength is another issue that uh, we we need to deal with stability issues. Uh, the, the, there are things that we need to manage in in this transition.
2: and and the stability <laughs> and the, the voltage, and you mentioned the short circuit ratios, and I was interested. Uh, and just to remind that uh, synchronous condensers uh, or spinning reserves can provide short circuit ratios, that's current injection, six times the, the fault level, if I've said it right, versus uh, an inver- a grid inverter, for instance, that might be two times at the moment. But you also said that that might not matter so much in the future, because I guess if you had these uh, grid forming inverters or whatever they are... S- s- Stuck all along the line at different places, not necessarily costing all that much individually you mightn't have so many faults and you might be able, you might need such a big fault level current and the system conceptually could be more resilient than it is now
3: yes so um, h- historically we, we have designed the system uh, such that we, uh, we we knew what would be the impact of uh, contingencies on the grid. For example, if, if there was a fault, we knew how much f- fault current would be uh, available on, on a specific line, for example. So the protection of the power system was designed at the time with that sort of fault level. Now, fast forward to future when there is no synchronous generation, and all the genera- generation are inverter connected, we may not need um, that sort of fault level uh, to d- detect fault in the system. We, it, it will be a whole different ball game. And for for example, um, the, the power system of future may not even need to be earthed because earthing was introduced into power system very early because uh, they they couldn't detect a fault when that there was a fault uh, that they couldn't detect the fault. So they thought if we earthed and this way we get a fault current, we can detect faults. But in, in future, if there is no need for that, power system may be run and earthed. And I'm not talking about maybe 50 years from now. Uh, it's not in my lifetime, but uh, imagine a power system that is not earthed and it's, it's, it's safer you you can see birds on the transmission line and they, they they they're not um affected by the power uh if if the whole system becomes unearthed in the future then the safety will improve if if we don't have fault current that there is no need to have this sort of protection in the system because well there won't be fault currents and the system so, will about... be definitely God. yeah
2: now, I was going to say I don't know about birds, but my model planes, when they hit one of those high high voltage lines, uh, uh you know the whole the whole of Sydney uh, gets nervous. But uh, so far we've been able to stay out of trouble. Um, uh, well, yeah, I so I, I I guess there's another conversation to be had, probably not today, about the actual program of work that Giles and I both think about about how to get from point A to point B and. You know, what are the steps, the specific steps that we're going to take? What are the markets that are going to be needed? And uh, uh, for some of our listeners, I I, I note that the AEMC is dealing with uh, rural requests in the national electricity market here over east uh, for fast frequency markets, uh, for instance, which could be uh, start to provide some incentive. And I guess it seems to me, and I'm sure Giles agrees as well, as you mentioned, that uh, battery storage are going to be a big part of whatever the system is and so it seems to me that uh, policies that encourage the introduction of batteries are one way or another likely to help us end up with a more resilient system uh, than than sometimes seems apparent. Dean I think yeah, I is wondering. there anything else? Go on Joss.
1: I've got one, one last question. Dean, um, we've seen a lot of big batteries um, installed in the national electricity market, and um, there's obviously a big battery up at Mount Newman, which is doing some really interesting stuff that David referred to earlier. Um, you've got a series of community-level batteries, which we've talked about here, that have been rolled out by Western Power, mostly to deal with those long, skinny little distributed lines um, and, and, and the amount of rooftop solar there. Are we expecting to see a big battery somewhere on the grid in, um, in WA anytime soon?
3: I can't wait for it. Um, definitely <laughs> a, a, a big battery, a larger scale utility connected battery is what we need in near future here. And I hope that um, somewhere along the line, this um, the market setting and everything works for a, a huge battery to connect to WA. I, I will sleep much better if we have this battery in place.
1: <laughs> and presumably that's what this whole of system plan is about, sort of defining the rules so you can actually encourage those batteries to connect because you've got to unlock their value stack because they can do so many different things. Um, and, and, and that's what that plan is about. And I guess um, my, my second question is, will you then be actually putting out a tender for a system-wide battery or will you just be seeking to watch other um, renewable or other developers just looking for a market opportunity? Is, is your idea to create the market for the whole system plan and and, and wait till they come or actually sort of, um, a, bit of a bit more central planning?
3: As, as you know, in WA, uh, we are also going through a reform of electricity market here. Uh, we have, um, at, in addition to the energy um, revenue that is in the name here in WA, we have a capacity market. So, the, the, the arrangement for storage to connect and um, uh, be provided with the capacity revenue and also uh, participate in the ancillary service market and energy market is um, in, in process to be finalized. And uh, we are going to have a new market uh, in um, 2022. And uh, my hope is that even before the new market is in place, we will have a battery connected to WA.
1: Well, we look forward to seeing that. Um, Dean Sharafi, um, General Manager of System Development at AEMO in Western Australia. Look, thank you very much for joining the um, joining Edge Genie podcast. It has been technical, but it has been um, very insightful and uh, very informative and um, critically important to sort of understanding the way forward. So thank you very much for joining the uh, podcast this week.
3: Thank you, Charles. Thank you, David.
1: Thanks very much, Dean, again. And you have been listening to Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson and my co-host has been David Leach. I'd just like to thank our sponsors, um, Evergen and Pylon. I'd like to thank all the listeners for tuning in once again. We do enjoy your support. Please, if you do have a, a review or any feedback, either send us a direct email or leave a comment on your favorite podcast, podcast platform. And um, we'll be back again this time next week. Bye for now.
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use, solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no lock-in contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant. Generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole, Evergen software is powering the energy of the future.